on this episode. It is the tribe. It is us telling our own story, yeah. right? So with the curriculum, the tribe, I, I was in all those meetings where the, the curriculum was being developed. And it was a tribe providing the content, working with the teachers and, and, and with this museum here. This is through our own authentic voice. And that is the, the key point in the museum, the curriculum and the ongoing efforts we have. From the coveted corner booth in a little bar in the center of the Coachella Valley universe, welcome to another big conversation with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Gentlemen, Welcome to another edition of Big Conversations Little Bar, recorded live at Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, California, as we like to call it, the center of the Coachella Valley universe. My name is Patrick Evans, and I'm joined by my weekly co-host, not my week co-host, my weekly co-host. But even weekly almost sounds like it's not a permanent kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it makes it sound like you don't get to the gym very often. (laughs) Randy Florence is here, as he is every week, and we are delighted. And I'm going to be here every week. I know you are. Of course you are. Absolutely. Whether you're just watching, you know, like enjoying a cheeseburger here at Little Bar. I'll be here. (laughs) And, of course, John McMullen, our producer. So, Randy, how are things? Everything's good? Things are great. Uh, As we have, uh, as we are recording, we are... Well, we're kind of in the middle of the season here, or as some people refer to the, the silly season <laughs> here in the desert. But you are, I mean, you're in your glory right now. You're basically emceeing every event that's taking place in the desert right now. It, right? it has slowed down a little bit since prior to, you know, before the holidays, it was like, is this straight? But it's, it's, it's a little calmer, but we just have come off the Palm Springs International Film Festival, and we've got, you know... All the great things that are coming up. We've got tennis. We've got uh, the Amex on the way. I mean, there's just so many incredible things that happen in this desert. Well, and every Tuesday, people could do something really entertaining and, and come watch a podcast at a little bar at the center of the Coachella Valley universe. <laughs> One must be truly bored to do that. But <laughs> Well, we're here. We're here, so come on out. Now, actually, today I'm particularly excited because we have a, a very special guest. We have with us Reed Milanovic, who is the tribal chairman of the Agua Caliente Band of Cahuilla Indians. And uh, we're just delighted to have you, Reed. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, and I'm honored to be here. Hey, you just told me something. You said you've been on tribal council now for 10 years. It's going on 10 years. I was first elected as tribal council member in 2014. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, when I arrived here in Palm Springs 22 years ago, your father was the tribal chairman. And it is safe to say that your dad, Richard Milanovic, was not only uh, an incredible leader for the tribe, but he was, I think, one of the most prominent politicians in all of California, certainly here in Southern California. Uh, he did so many things that were so good for Palm Springs, not just for the tribe, but I think for, for, the, for the entire region. Mm-hmm. He was a very forward-thinking leader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, he, he didn't have just the, the best interests of the tribe in mind. He knew that um, you know, he, he wanted to, to, to better the entire Palm Springs, the whole entire Coachella Valley, right? I mean, he wanted, he cared very deeply for the entire valley. So he felt it was very important um, primarily to benefit our tribe, but he, he wanted to help the, the, the outside c- community as well. 
Well, he certainly was, uh, I think, someone who reached out and made partners of the communities all around, not just in Palm Springs, but mm-hmm. but throughout Southern California, mm-hmm. and particularly in the Coachella Valley. Uh, I, I got to spend some time with him throughout the years. Uh, I remember one, one instance in particular when they were unveiling the plans for uh, the spa casino mm-hmm. in downtown Palm Springs, and there was a lot of trepidation about that uh-huh. because that was an enormous project, and people were very worried about what that would look like because, obviously, it was tribal land and, and essentially you guys can kind of do what you want but he lived at, and the tribe lived very with, within the parameters of what the city had traditionally laid out and I, I remember coming away from that press conference just so impressed with what they did and, and how they did it and how your father presented it and uh, it was one of my, my favorite moments and I got to chat with him at that point and, and over the years since then I, I uh, I have lots of very fond memories of Dad, and I was delighted when you were elected to tribal council. It's just, uh, I think the Milanovic family has such a great history here, and you continue that tradition. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And, you know, Dad always had a line when we were building some of these different projects, and it was, we live here too, (laughs) right? We live here too, so we want what's best for the entire the entire uh, not just the tribe but also the the valley right so i I know there was uh, a couple concerns when some of these casinos were first being built but again we live here too right and this tribe i believe uh and it may still be the case i don't know you can tell me it was the first tribe to get a license to have three operating casinos in the state of california so each tribe in the state of california has the opportunity to negotiate their gaming compacts with the state of California. And depending on what those compacts are between the tribe and state, that is between that tribe and and the state. So in our compact, we have the ability, yes, to to operate three gaming facilities. And I think that, again, is a testament to your your father and uh, his ability to negotiate. (laughs) He was a good negotiator. Yes. I I think some of the the physical legacy that, that your dad has in the Valley is pretty obvious, but in, in your mind, what is his legacy here? To me, he's just dad. Just dad. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Just dad. I mean, I, he was elected to chair in 1984. I was born in 1983. So since, you know, it was I was maybe five or six months old but when he was elected chair. So my entire life, I only knew him. I, he was always the chair. But to me, he was just dad, right? I thought, I have this funny story. When I was young, um, we'd be. At, I was at my friend's house, and I remember his dad w- was always coming home. His dad'd be home a lot, and my dad, being the cherry, he was on the road a lot. And so I asked him. I asked my friend, "So what's your dad always doing home?" Because I thought all dads are on the road traveling all the time. I thought I just thought that's what dads did, but no, apparently not. So I have to laugh. Or I have to laugh when I look back at that, and I think that was just a. I, I thought it was normal, but no, I mean, that's, I, I think I'm very appreciative of all the work that he did, but to me, to, to sum it up, he, he was just dead. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, leadership changes. I mean, following your dad, we had uh, Jeff Gruby as, as the tribal chair, mm-hmm. very different leadership style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chairman Gruby is, he still is, is one of my greatest mentors. Right, he, he stepped up at a very critical time when dad passed in 2012. 
and he was chairman for 10 years. Prior to that, he had served uh, six years as tribal council member and also as vice chairman. And the way he was able to step up and lead was such, such class. He was a very hard worker. His leadership skills were pristine, and he's someone that I still talk to, uh, if not um, weekly. It, I still I make it a point to talk to him, and he's there for me whenever I, I, I reach out to him. Well, it was a really critical time because your father represented a lot of very stable leadership. He'd been there for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I think people were wondering, what what is this next generation going to look like? Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, Chairman Gruby did a very good job of transitioning, uh, really, and, and bringing in a younger generation that paved the way for you mm-hmm. to become uh, the chair. Mm-hmm. And But I, I, rem- I did a couple of events. One of my favorite events in this entire valley is dinner in the canyons? Yes, now that is always a spectacular event, isn't it? Uh, and I remember the very first time because you go to this reception, you're overlooking the valley on that little <laughs> precipice, and then you walk up into the into the canyon there, uh, and the tables are set and the palm trees are lighted, and it's just unbelievable. And we're in the you know the traditional home. Uh, of the tribe there up in the canyon, and it's spectacular. The Coachella Valley is widely known as some, has hosting some of the best events, not just the country, but the world. We have a lot of events in prime time and season, especially right now. But the location of that event puts that above all others, right? I mean, it's just the, you're out there during the nighttime, you're underneath the palm trees, you're overlooking the city of Palm Springs. It's truly a, a magical place. It is one of the and uh, I am seeing a lot of events throughout the year. I was always champing at the bit to get an invitation to MC Dinner in the Canyon. When that happened, I was absolutely thrilled. But I will uh, always remember <coughs> uh, Chairman Gruby introduced me. And he was a, y- y- your dad had a, a formality about him. Uh, he was always very easygoing, but there was a formality about him. But I remember when Chairman Gruby introduced me, uh, he was, a, he was uh, a big fan of, he remains, I think, a big fan of like MMA fighting and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and he got up and he, and he welcomed everybody and he, he said, you know, what a, an incredible event and a great evening and I'm really delighted to be here. He said, but there is a big fight on and I'd, <laughs> part of me would like to be home watching that. <laughs> Yes, he was a very honest man. <laughs> he was he a very honest man. Yes. I love that. It was hilarious. I think it's a, but luckily, I've got Patrick Evans here who's going <laughs> to... <laughs> so, but uh, that is just, I, I think, one of one of the hallmark events. And, of course, for many years, uh, we would always talk about what, was, what we were raising money for. Mm-hmm. And now that is a reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the new construction, the, the, the spa at Sekhi, and now the plaza, which just opened, and the, the cultural museum. Mm-hmm. And these are going to be incredible additions to the fabric of our valley. Yes, yes. I've said it before, and I will say it again. The Agua Caliente Cultural Plaza will be one of the, the most important projects my tribe will ever build. In 2016, we did a transition from the previous Agua Caliente Cultural Museum board, and, and we switched it over. So, it, it, so now it's a fully, fully tribally funded project. So the tribe took over the project. We decided to build it on the corner of Taquas Canyon and Indian Canyon, the prime, the prime uh, spot 
heart of downtown Palm Springs. That's where the spa at Secchi is. That's where hot mineral spring water is. It's just, it's an amazing property, and I'm just, I'm delighted to see it up and running. Well, it, for me, watching this come to fruition uh, over the years, because I, when I first arrived, at each dinner in the canyons that I would attend, it, we were always talking about the goal of what this was going to look like and what it was going to be. And, and so now to see it, you know, taking shape is really remarkable. And I think the tribe must be exceedingly proud of what you guys have achieved. Absolutely. This is more than a three decade long vision that's finally come to fruition. Right. So to see this finally built, finally done, seeing the looks on our members' faces when they walk in there, them seeing their own pictures, their own videos on the walls, it's, it's such a sense of pride that it is finally open. And the amount of visitors that are going in there is truly, it, it's, it's amazing. Reed, it, it almost feels like um, recently you're making a concerted effort to show uh, the non-Indian citizens what's going on with the tribe the cultural museum is one of the ways of doing that was, was that a specific direction that you guys talked about going here in the valley yes so educating the, the general public about who we are as a people is a major priority for us i'm not sure if you're aware but we have the COIA curriculum in palm springs unified school district third fifth working on the eighth i forgot the other grade but these are state mandated curriculums the, what makes these unique is that this is one of, the, one of the first times a tribe and a school district came together to partner up on the curriculum and have it be state mandated. So trying to get our story out there through our own words, that, that is critical. Is, there, is this basically kind of a written path, the next step that you're going to take to get there, or is it just something organically that's going to grow out of things like building the museum? Which part specifically? In, in educating the rest of the citizenship of the valley about the tribe. Mm -hmm. As we know, there, there's a lot of locals that live here that are they just don't know too much about the tribe. Exactly. Right? And so when there's visitors who come not just from across the state or across the country, but from all over the world, and they're coming on to the Agua Caliente Indian Reservation, we want them to have a better understanding of the land that they're on and the people, the original people of the land. Well, Let's you cannot separate right. Palm Springs from the Agua Caliente. Mm -hmm. But as you point out, a lot of people who come here, uh, you know, a lot of snowbirds, a lot of folks who come from all across the country have, have no idea about the history of this valley and how it is, uh, you know, so integral our history and the tribe's history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to have that education going on for the locals. But I think the outreach also has to, and, and that's what the plaza is all about and the museum is all about, is, is making sure that our, our visitors and those who, who travel from all over the world to come, this is a world-class resort destination, mm -hmm. but it's important for them to understand the history of the tribe here as well. Absolutely. And the key with all of this is it is the tribe. It is us telling our own story, yeah. right? So with the curriculum, the tribe, I, I was in all those meetings where the, the curriculum w was being developed. And it was a tribe providing the content, working with the teachers and, and, and with this museum here. This is through our own authentic voice. And that is the, the key point in the museum, the curriculum, and the ongoing efforts we have. 
I um, had the opportunity recently to um, take a look at your dissertation uh, that you wrote uh, when you secured your doctorate. Oh, that's that's my uh, much wiser older brother, Sean. Oh, Sean. Yes. Sean wrote that. Tell me, um, one of the things that came out of that dissertation was um, a story that I had never heard of. And I'm wondering if you can help us tell us a little bit about the Temecula Treaty. Mm-hmm. And how that kind of formed where we are today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I think th- any questions about the dissertation, Sean, have to ask Sean, Sean huh? can better answers. <laughs> but I do have a little, be- a little bit of background on the Treaty of Temecula. That was um, that was never ratified. That was unfortunately put in a drawer. I, I believe is at the at, at the Capitol in Washington D.C. It was tucked away. For over 50 years, whether that, that was intentional or unintentional, we don't have clear answers. But that ratified, or that treaty, has never been ratified before. What was what was the conclusion of Sean's dissertation on next steps? Was there anything that was going to be able to be done, or is it a dead issue at this point? That's a great question for Sean. <laughs> All right, the, the answer to this question is we'll have to have we'll Sean have to have Sean on here on the podcast. Uh, talk a little bit about so growing up and your dad was was chairman for your entire life as you were growing up. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Uh, and, and talk a little bit about your background growing up here in Palm Springs. And, and uh, you know, you are a product of the tribe, but also of Palm Springs and, and modern Palm Springs. Talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Born and raised in Palm Springs. And some of my fondest memories are spending time on the Andreas Ranch. Dad would take us and some of our uncles, aunts, cousins. We would spend evenings, could have been three, four, five hours over there just running around as a kid. Those, those are some of my best memories. And I attended Kawea Elementary School. I mean, what better place to grow up than, than here? It, it is. It's, you know, it's amazing. Yes. Yes. Now, when did you decide to get involved in tribal leadership? So I graduated Cal Baptist University in Riverside, California. I graduated in 2011. And at that time, I I made the decision to move back to Palm Springs full time. And it was in 2012, unfortunately, is when dad passed. But in between 2011, after I graduated college and prior to being elected in 2014, I had uh, I was appointed on a couple different tribal committees. And I started coming to meetings a little bit more, started to get a little bit more involved, have a better understanding of how our tribe operates. And in 2013, I did run for tribal council, but um, I was not, I, 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 I didn't get it, right? So I, there was a- That shocks me. <laughs> <laughs> how does I'm that really surprised about that. It, it's an elected position. Right. We, we respect the, 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 the members who vote and how they vote, and it's, a, it's an elected position but how many members are there we have about 510 512 just over 500 but after the elections in 2013 there was a member who came up to me and she 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 said okay so you know what you have to do now i'm thinking what 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 and she said now you just have to put in get to work harder i want you to I want you to th- consider running for tribal council proxy, w- which I eventually did. So I was a tribal council proxy in 2013, and I got to focus even more, attended more meetings, and in 2014 is when I was elected. Mm-hmm. Now, 
when you were a student, tell me a little bit about your studies. What did you what, what did you study? What did you major in? So I originally had a major in business, and during the first semester at CBU, I had taken a political science class as uh, a, a, just something to, to to fill in the the credits I needed, and I just I fell in love with it. I fell I fell in love with with, with poli sci, and it was. I think it was just the next semester that I actually switched my major into political science. And I attended CBU for about three and a half years. The last year was incredibly tough. I think I was taking 21 units at oh, the man. time. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I had zero life other than school. <laughs> but you know what? I did it. And my sister, Trista, and I actually graduated on the same day, which was amazing. Wow. Yes. Yes. Well, that's yeah. great. And she's delightful. I always like spending time with Trista. Uh, she's great. Now... When you were growing up, uh, were you always surrounded by uh, tribal members? Or what was what was growing up in Palm Springs like for you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Dad, being chairman, he would attend a lot of tribal events, and he made it a point to include all of his kids, his family, to be there, to participate, to be around other tribal members. Keep in mind, a lot of the tribal members are my cousins, so right. it's just family, right? <laughs> right. So, t- so, growing up, this is just a family gathering, but. You know, it was also tribal events, and so just being around other tribal members, it, it, it really was amazing. As you were growing up, were, were you hearing stories of the shamans and um, shapeshifters and things like that? We really, we, we weren't taught too much about that. Hmm. Now, back in uh, the late 1950s, our last round ceremonial house was burned down. That was a very difficult decision for the tribal leadership at the time because it was a, a nod to a new culture coming in, new society coming in, and this was a sign of assimilation into new cultures coming into our reservation land. So a lot of our culture, unfortunately, at that time was not to be practiced anymore. We lost a lot during that time. I know it was a very difficult decision. These past 20, 30 years or so, the tribe has put a point on bringing back major parts of our culture, right? So we have a lot of uh, classes and outings to really keep that culture thriving, right? In the 50s, you went through a pretty major change in who was running the tribe, right? It was a patriarchal situation until then, and then women took over. Uh, it's no secret the women are the real power in Awakaliente. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had the, the first all-woman tribal council in the country. And Grandma Laverne, she was a secretary treasurer at the time. And their, their efforts, their sacrifices, what they did, we really owe so much of the tribe's success to what those five women did. I mean, it's just, it, it inspires me when I think about the challenges that they had to face being five women, mm-hmm. Right in the 1950s doing what they did it, it's it's mind-blowing it and really why is. were they able to get things done that their predecessors weren't determination yeah. they were very determined they were fighting you don't mess with mothers do you yeah, they're fighting for <laughs> what was right yeah right and and they just they, they knew certain things had to be done and they, they had a one-track mind and this is what's going to get done and they did it and do you feel that that's been kind of the way things have, have gone since then, that they followed that path that was established by those five women? Yes, and I'm, I, I think Awa Caliente has no shortage of leaders 
right? As, as, as we've had very consistent leadership throughout decades and decades and decades, and so much of it is, is really owed to those what to what those five women did. When those five women took over, what was the biggest pivot? What was the move that they made that uh, kind of set you on the course to, to get us to where we are today? Mm-hmm. At the time, I, I believe that their biggest, I mean, they have a, a, a wide array of, of achievements, but something that sticks out to me was they were able to change the, the, the maximum number of years on Indian leases from five years to 99 years. That was a major achievement. Yeah, major you couldn't get a loan point. on a home Correct. with a lease like that. Correct. Right. Yeah, with a five-year lease, and it was yeah, yeah. impossible. So for the, those five women to travel back to D.C. in the late 1950s and convince Congress to do something, I mean, it's just incredible. Right? And, and so I think what that did, it really laid a foundation, a strong, a strong foundation for us to, to have a very bright future moving forward. Well, you know, and it's so important because uh, obviously there's so much land that belongs to members of your tribe or the tribe itself. Mm -hmm. And to be able to have the the members determine what happens with that land is so important. Mm -hmm. Self-determination, self-reliance, very important, very important to us. You mentioned a little bit about uh, assimilation and, and modernization. And I think that was a really big and very important thing that happened during that time frame mm-hmm. where because I, I think embracing uh, the idea of assimilating and and the cooperation with what was going on in Palm Springs is that was a huge period of growth for the city of Palm Springs mm-hmm. and, and kind of a springboard to where we are today where tourism is our most important uh, you know part of our economy and and the tribe became a real partner with the city and and with the valley in that yes yes the, the the tribe puts a lot of effort into into building strong professional relationships not just with the city of palm springs but also cathedral city rancho mirage riverside county and we we believe that working together is the right thing to do absolutely well you you mentioned something you know the tribal leadership these five women they had to go to washington dc to get these changes made <laughs> mm-hmm. hey, you the tribe as an entity is not only working with localities and local government. You have to work with the state government and with the federal government. You are you're tasked with these these enormous uh, conversations <laughs> with entities that are not just here. It's not just talking to city council. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, we are very very busy with uh, with our trips to Sacramento, our, our trips to Washington, D.C., and everywhere throughout the entire country. Obviously, being home, we put a, a, a lot of focus on, on maintaining strong working relationships with our local cities, Riverside County, and, and the state as well. I mean, it's we, we have to constantly, um, you know, to just do the right thing and, and, and working with, with the cities and the state and federal government. It's a lot of work. It, it, it really is. And I'm not saying that there isn't challenges, because there is. But that's the whole point of working together is to work through some of these challenges and try to come agreement on, on certain issues. How often do you have to renegotiate the compact in terms of like gaming and that sort of thing? It, it really depends on, on the length of each compact. Um, they, they can go a couple of decades. It's, it's, it really depends on each in individual tribe's compact with the state. And those compacts are very specific, right? Uh, in terms of like the, the, the number of... is it. 
it really dives deep into like the number of slot machines you, that are available and, and those sorts of things, right? It's 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 a pretty complicated negotiation. They are very very detailed, but I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not sure exactly what I can share. I know there's a lot of confidential <laughs> things in there, and, and I, I can don't Sean tell us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we're going to ask Sean <laughs> or Trista. We'll get Trista in here. <laughs> well, why do you think? You've been so much more successful than other tribes were since the 50s. Obviously, you've built a, a presence here. Mm-hmm. You've got a strength both um, culturally and economically mm-hmm. that a lot of others in the West didn't have. Um, why were you so much more successful as a tribe? It, it's the people. It's the people. I've always grown up to... I was raised, we were all raised to do the right thing. And when I talked about very strong leadership within our tribe, that has been a consistent ever since I can ever remember, even way before I I was even born. And when we put our mind to something, we we fully intend to get something done. There's a a huge number amount of challenges that, that we have to face, but I think the determination and, and the will of not just current leadership, but prior leadership, our past leaders, that's really what is it, it, really driving us. I mean, it's not just council that is getting these things done. We work very closely with membership. We have a very highly involved membership that works with us, and we don't just do this as a council. We do this as a tribe, as a, as a, as a group, right? And so it's, it's that determination, that, that vision it, it, it's really what drives us. You've got a pretty amazing economic development um, part of the tribe uh, that has done some amazing things over the last <coughs> few years. Is, is the growth um, in structures and buildings and something in land that's owned, is that, are there future plans for that also? Uh, we have a, a, a lot of future plans, a, a lot, but I don't want to talk about it too much here and, and ruin yeah, the surprise. Yeah, another one for Sean. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the top golf next to Akersher Arena is probably not going up anytime soon. Isn't that arena amazing? It's fantastic. It's beautiful. Yeah. It really is. For somebody who... Uh, it, from the area, grew up in the area. It must be pretty incredible to drive down 10 and all of a sudden see that structure just sitting there and realizing what it's done for the valley. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I remember when Tacos Canyon was, was dirt road, <laughs> right? So there, I remember during the summertime when pretty much everyone would leave the Palm Springs area. And, and what we're seeing now with all this growth and, like you're saying, driving down the 10 and we see this 10, 11,000 seat arena, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Well, you mentioned this. Uh, you graduated from uh, Cal Baptist. Yes. And you made a conscious decision to come back mm-hmm. as a young man. Mm-hmm. A lot of people your age don't make that decision. I think more and more people are because the Valley has changed quite a bit in the last 20 plus years that I've been here. But... Uh, there are a lot of opportunities for, for young people like you outside of the valley. What made you decide that you really wanted to focus on coming back here? What? Why did you? Because I'm sure that you had plenty of opportunities outside of the valley that could have taken you a lot of other very interesting and wonderful places. Yes, yes. I, I remember during the last year, maybe it was about 18 months before I graduated, I was highly considering moving to the East Coast, likely New York City. And I had gone, I remember looking at apartment listings. I was getting pretty deep, 
down that road. Yeah. And really, event, I, I just home was calling. All right, the tribe was calling. It was it was something I wanted to learn more about how the tribe was operating. I wanted to learn more about our culture, learn more about ourselves. It's really what what drew me back was was getting more involved and better understanding my past, where I came from. Um, you know, just our history in general, and it eventually led me to a path where I am today. Were you getting any pressure to come back, or was that no. they allowed you to get to that point yourself? Yeah, there, there was no pressure. There was Our tribal members are very supportive of what we choose to do, whichever path that may be, and there, there was no pressure. There, there was, you know, it was serving on, on different committees and, and eventually being elected to tribal council. There's always there's a very strong support system in what we choose to do individually. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, really. I'm I'm very grateful, very thankful for for so many members who 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 really they, they still encourage me and their their words of of wisdom. I mean, I'm, I just turned 40 years old, right? There's elders that I still look up to, and I still very much uh, seek out their their advice, what they have to say, their knowledge, their wisdom. That's something a very valuable. I don't want to say asset because these are people. These, these are people I'm related to, but learning more about them and what they have to say, why why we're in certain positions. They just have so much knowledge of that history and experience. And it's, it's, it's important that that information be passed down so the next generations can better understand who we are, where we come from, and that, that helps us make better decisions moving forward. You talk, uh, we talked about that. The, the ability to be able to continue in the future to pass all of that down. Talk about that just a little bit, if you would, as the tribe. How are you making sure that languages stay in place, that understandings of history stay in place? What's the process for that other than just schools? We have a variety of ways that we are, 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 are having opportunities to, to, for members to, to really participate in cultural programs. We have Cultural Preservation Committee that I swear holds 19 classes a day. <laughs> very, very busy. But we have basket weaving. We have language classes. We have bird singing and, and the dancing The bird singing is, is so important because it's yeah. something that is an enormous part of your your tribal outreach. Yes. Uh, one yes. of the first things I remember about coming here is, is going to ceremonies where it was very important that we heard the bird singers come in. Songs that have been, bird song been sung incredible. for thousands of years. And I forgot, I brought this for you guys. So we actually had the Singing the Birds Festival coming up on January 27th. It's free to attend. It's at the Palm Springs High School. So we're invited. Yes, absolutely. Free to attend, so we're invited. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but it's such a great event because it really gives us the chance to to celebrate and, and share the bird singing, our, our culture, with through bird songs and bird dancing. And this is very specific to the, the Agua Caliente. No, we, we invite uh, many Southern California tribes to come participate. It's really, it's a, I think it was seven, seven hours or so. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's a great event of hearing bird songs and uh, the, the, the singers are talking about the songs and really educating those, including our own members, the meanings of songs. And so the, these are methods of passing down the history that has been taught for 
thousands of years, right? It's really it's incredible. And it's open to everyone, all ages. Tickets are free. Go to aguacaliente.org and you'll find information on there for it. When uh, when you get together, uh, talk a little bit about the relationship with the Aguacaliente and the other tribes here in the valley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We work very closely with all of the tribes here in the valley, right? We're Kauia Nation, right? And so working together... Um, keeping constant communication about um, what each of us are working on. I know I talked to uh, uh, Chairman Tortoise from Torres Martinez pretty often. I talked to Chairman Mike from Spotlight 29, um, chair over at Fantasy at, at Cabazon. And it's important just to maintain communication so we have a better understanding of, of, of what's going on. And, and depending on certain issues, we will get together and have an official meeting. But for the most part, it's just keeping up with each other. What about with uh, tribes outside of of the region? Because, again, you guys coordinate directly with the state mm-hmm. on a lot of issues. And I know that they're, I mean, uh, the, the tribes up in Santa Barbara area, you know, the Santa Inez area. And, mm-hmm. I mean, is there coordination at that level, at the state level with Absolutely. So it can be a bit challenging because California has more tribes than any other state in the country. So we have about 110 federally recognized tribes in the state of California, more than any other state. So as you can imagine, maintaining relationships (laughs) with 110 tribes can be challenging, but we do all work together. We do all work together. And depending on some of the issues that that they're at hand, you know, we, we do try to communicate and have meetings and try to you know, really talk through some of these issues. I know there, there's uh, there's some tribes, obviously, that I have close relationships with, and that's up and down the state. And we, and again, we just maintain that communication. And depending on the issue, it's it, it, that that kind of lays out how often we talk and whatnot. What are some of the biggest challenges? And you, as the chair, but what are the, some of the biggest challenges when you got elected, not just to the council, but then as as tribal chair? What are you guys tackling right now? What do you feel like are the challenges that you need to overcome to continue this forward progress? Mm-hmm. There's daily challenges, right? <laughs> daily challenges. It's it's truly an honor to have this position, and right now we're in the in, in the middle of, of our water mediation. I can't talk too much about that because that's all Sean. confidential. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, we just completed the, the brand new museum and spa, and we're working on the curriculum. We're, we're really strengthening our, our, our sovereign government. Uh, there's a number of issues. It's, I mean, today was a pretty full day. We just, we just got back from break. But you, you had a council meeting today, right? You just today, came from Today. Yeah. And Tuesdays, they, they've got to be my favorite days because that's when we have a chance to meet with membership and hear from them, hear their concerns. They're often the, the longer days, but it's it's very much needed. And so we have that that face-to-face meetings with their membership and, and get to hear concerns or, or, you know, just update on what's going on. Did I see you had a chance to meet with the uh, chief of the, is it Osage? Osage Nation. Nation that yes. was just here? Oh, man. Incredible. I'm still thinking about what an incredible opportunity that was. Yeah, talk about that. So a, a couple of weeks leading up to the film gala, the awards gala for the, for the film festival, uh, we learned that the Killers of the Flower Moon, that film was going to be recognized at the film fest. And in my mind, so I'm, I'm driving home from the office and I'm thinking, you know what, if the cast comes out here, 
and if and if if members of the Osage Nation come out with them, I'm trying to think of ways how I can ins- extend an invitation to them to visit either the Indian Canyon, Sockwoods Canyon, or the Cultural Plaza. I'm just thinking of, of of different ideas for them to come visit if they were to come out here. It wasn't a day later that we received a, a request from Osage Nation that they were going to be out here and they wanted to meet with us. And so within a couple of weeks, we were able to, to put together an event, a, a cultural exchange. It was the Friday morning after the awards call. I think we're all pretty tired from such a great night before. It was about <laughs> yeah. 9, 9.30 a.m., but it was great. It, it, it really was. It was a nation-to-nation nation cultural exchange where we were getting to meet and better understand each other and, and learn from each other. And obviously there was cast, some of the cast from, from the film, Killers of the Flower Moon, that were there participating. We had our membership there. Apple Films was, was there. And we were able to take them through the museum and talk to them a little bit about our culture. Obviously they were on time constraints, so we didn't have too much time with them. But what an amazing day that was. I bet it was. It really was, yes. Well, you know, it, I thought it was very uh, impressive and appropriate that the leadership of Osage Nation was able to come and speak at the film festival and talk about the experience of making that film mm-hmm. uh, because it was such a... You, you look at the, the, the violence that was perpetrated uh, on, the, on the Osage Nation at that time and, and to, to have Martin Scorsese come and tell that story mm-hmm. was so important to the tribe. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing story. It, it, it really is, and, and, and that film is monumental in, in, in numerous ways. They took, they were able to take in a horrific, horrific stage of events, horrific stories, and tell it, in, I don't know if this is the right word, but they told it in a beautiful way. It really connected with the audience, and not, not just tribal members, not, not just Native Americans, but non-Indians too. I believe they better understood that history, it was a very dark history, but the way they were able to perform and tell that story, having Native American actors, it, that, that was so key and very authentic. And that was one of the things, In I, I spoke to a number of the cast members and, and, and the chief of Osage Nation, I got to speak with him, and he said it was very important that someone with uh, Martin Scorsese's credentials come to make that film. He said they would not have been able to tell the story on the broadest of stages without that, but that he came and really immersed himself in the Osage Nation well before starting the film, just so he would understand the issues. Yes, and and I think I'm of the opinion that that was one of the most critical points or, or pieces of making that film was that he reached out and he consulted with the Osage Nation. It wasn't him just reading what happened. He actually went to, to members. I've spoken to different Osage members uh, before the film came out, and they were talking about being involved and, and being consulted and, and talking about the history. So the way he was able to go communicate and better understand what happened so that it could be represented accurately, I think that is really the key point of that film is that he did the effort and talked with the tribe to have a better understanding of what really happened and then the casting again of the Native American actors themselves. Lily Gladstone, I mean, congrats to her just, win, just winning the, the yeah. Golden Globe. That's right. One of the, the nicest persons I've ever met. She, she was there this, this past Friday at the Cultural Exchange and she was lovely. She, she's lovely, but that film, I think, is, 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 is going, is, it's going to lead 
other Native Americans, other tribes to be hopefully more comfortable with telling their story as long as it is through their own voice. And it's critical. It's I'm in my 60s and I had never heard the story. And I think that's a shame. So it took somebody like Scorsese to put that out there to make it more wide stream for more people to see it. So the timing's amazing. So many tribes and so many Native Americans have, I mean, each tribe has had, you know, there, there are horrific stories in the history of the Alcalente, you know, each tribe in California. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all, there are stories that can be told. Absolutely. And, and should be. Agreed. 100%. Agreed. And for, for so long, there's been a Native American stereotype in Hollywood. This past 10 years or so, you're seeing that stereotype being broken. Yeah. Right? And, and so it's, it's, each tribe has their own unique culture. And to, to really group all Native Americans in one box, I don't think is fair. So when you're seeing stories of those Osage Nate nation or the Awa Caliente or the Sioux, we're all different in our own ways. So to see those being represented accurately is, is very important. Uh, we're not going to dive into this, but uh, I, we do want to touch on uh, you know, Section 14. You guys are working on something that is going to be a really uh, immersive experience Mm-hmm. Uh, from the tribal perspective mm-hmm. that will take place at the Cultural Museum, correct? Yes, so within the, the Agua Caliente Cultural Museum, we have the permanent exhibit, which is five areas. It starts with the creation story, and then the EA2, it represents our land, and then the, the third part is very didactic information about our history, and then it goes into present and, and future days. Once you're out of the, the main exhibit, there is a traveling exhibits where there we we don't have the the exact time frame of how often those exhibits are going to be rotated but um, the intentions are to have an exhibit on section 14 the the accurate history of what happened and we can't wait to to get that exhibit up and running well and again you you talk about uh, telling the tribal story with the tribal voice uh, and, and telling your story. Yes. And that really is part of your story. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's important that the tribe, you know, construct this and, and, and present it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But it, what an amazing facility that you all have built. It's, and I think it's going to be uh, a real touchstone in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. A, a, a tremendous opportunity for people to come and learn so, yes, it's it. From what I understand, I don't know how, how true this is, but one of the largest Native American-owned museums on the entire West Coast, which I, I wasn't sure about. So I know my, my good friend, uh, Chairman Kenny Khan up at Chumash. I know that they're getting ready to open theirs, and we like to go back and forth. And say, mine's bigger. No, yours is bigger. <laughs> so we go back and forth. But they're supposed to have a beautiful facility as well. Well, you know, it's interesting. You go, you go up through that part of, of California. The Chumash have, have, I mean, that's a beautiful part yes. of California. And, uh, and they have such a, a presence, and they've expanded it over the years to really demonstrate and, and illustrate uh, their history there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there. There are some correlations mm-hmm. between that tribe's history and, and this tribe's history. Yes, it's not unique to Abacaliente. 
for us wanting to tell our own story. It's important to so many tribes to get their story, their history, their culture out there. For visitors who come visit, they want them to better understand the original people of the land that they're visiting. So you're seeing tribes like Chumash, or uh, there's numerous tribes up north that are also also working on cultural centers. And to, and to see these things finally coming to life, coming to fruition, it really is inspiring for a lot of us. What is, uh, as you look forward uh, beyond the, the cultural center, what are some of the projects that the tribe is working on that you're really excited about? Uh, well, hang on, I'm making a list for Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I can't give away all the big surprises here. <laughs> no, I, I mean, we're always looking at ways to better our properties, right? Better serve the guests, give them better options. And obviously we have three three gaming properties and then we have the Agua Caliente Cultural Plaza downtown and just finding new ways to update those and, and have a better product for guests when they come visit. We want them to have the best steak at the steakhouse. We want them to have the best time at 360 Sports and we have three of those locations at, actually. And so it's just have, providing a better experience for those who come visit. I think that that's really what we're focused on. Now, the, uh, the facilities, the gaming facilities have really, uh, they've improved I think the quality of life in in, in uh, Palm Springs and Ranch Mirage and Cathedral City because they're incredible properties to go and enjoy, but they've been uh, instrumental in, in improving the livelihood and, and lives of your tribal members. Mm -hmm. So I said the word self-reliant, self-determination earlier. Mm -hmm. The reason, the main reason for these gaming facilities being built was that so tribes can be self-reliant self-determined right and so through the th through these facilities we have been able to provide government services to our members such as health care education housing the list goes on and on and those gaming facilities really do assist with that uh, it's it's so important to, but it's also a, it's such a great uh you know facility for people to come and enjoy you know it's part of the the, the tourism aspect of what we do here in, in southern california and, and in the palm springs and coachella valley uh, yeah some of those shows that we have i saw that we have jerry seinfeld uh, bill burr's coming up joe coy who just hosted the golden globes i mean i'm blown away just seeing who's all coming but uh, i mean each property has uh, it, it, it is unique into itself. So the downtown Palm Springs property, a little bit smaller, more intimate, and very, very beautiful. That was built in 2003. The Agua Caliente Casino Rancho Mirage, that was actually built 2001. The hotel was 2008. And then finally, the the casino in Cathedral City, that was 2020, probably the worst time to open up a gaming facility, yeah. but we got it done. So it's it, all three properties are great. I mean, I enjoy going to all of them. Well, as a resident of Cathedral City, I was really excited about that. And there was a lot of speculation as to where that third casino, where would it, where would it go? Mm -hmm. But the fact that it was put into Cathedral City, which is... Yeah, it's it's a great place to live. It's it's a great part of the community, but uh, you know it's sandwiched between Palm <laughs> Springs and Rancho Mirage, yes. <laughs> and probably a junior member of that club. Junior uh, member. <laughs> I'll just say, I'm, look, I'm, I'm resident, but I think that having the Albuquerque Cathedral City mm -hmm. is going to uh, you know it's it's the part of the rising tide that's going to lift all boats. Mm -hmm. It's really important to the city of Cathedral City. Yes, and we, and we chose that location. There was a, a number of different locations that we were looking at, and that was 
the right one to do. And I will say when, when we were planning on, on building that and going through the building plans and, and designs, the further we would get into it, the nicer that place got. And I mean, what a great product that has finally come out to be. It's, uh, what is it? Um, I think we have over 500 machines in there, over eight tables, 360 sports, obviously. My favorite part has to be the outdoor area. The whole uh, west side of, of the casino, it's, it, it essentially opens up, so you have the indoor-outdoor space, and I love it out there. Well, I think the 360 sports uh, facilities in, in all of the it, they're my favorite spot. And we have a group of guys, and we always get together. It might be on a Tuesday or a Thursday, but we love to go and just watch sports. And you guys have built one of the finest you know, sports watching facilities in the valley at any one of the three casinos. Yeah, and I would love to take credit for that, but we, <laughs> that we just gave we gave directions that we want we want a couple sports sports bars where people can can, can come enjoy their their food and watch some good games. And our IT department and the vendors that we worked with they they built an, an amazing amazing place. And have you had the chicken fingers or the fried chicken sandwich? Uh, both, yes. Both, okay. So I'm a big fried chicken. <laughs> the fried chicken sandwich here at Little Bar is excellent. The look in your eyes, you got really excited. <laughs> I, I do get excited about fried chicken sandwich. My <laughs> wife will tell you, that's, that's kind of my go-to. Uh, my, my fiance, she will ask me almost weekly, can we go to 360 tonight? She likes Cat City the best. For some reason, she says that our chicken fingers and fried chicken sandwich is the best in the valley. And she loves going there. It's not even for to watch sports. She wants to go there for the food, which I'm always happy to go for. But she loves going there. Well, there was a lot of speculation that that, that facility would be built out by uh, the Indian Canyon Golf Course. Mm-hmm. People thought that was kind of a natural, the mm-hmm. golf. And so I think there was a little bit of surprise when, when you guys located it right in downtown Cathedral City. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, in, in my opinion, the... The area closer to the Indian Canyons, that's, you know, that, that's for conservation purposes, right? And so I, I don't know too many details about the planning of, of, of why that was even considered. I wasn't around at that time. Right. But um, through the years, obviously, as the city has grown, Cathedral City has grown, it, that, that just ended up being the right location of where it's at today. Well, we also adore uh, Indian Canyons, particularly the South Course. I think it's one of the finest golf courses. I just played there for the first time last week. Did you? You could feel. You could feel. Those views. The the history. Yeah. You could feel the previous people. Well, when you guys uh, redid that, I know that uh, precedes you, uh, but when when that golf course was redone, Mm -hmm. it was redone beautifully. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a not great golfer, Mm -hmm. one of the things I really appreciate about Indy Canyon South is if you're you're a good golfer, there's still plenty of challenge. If you're not a great golfer, it doesn't beat you up. Would you play with me there? No, I will never play golf with you. I told you that. You shoot in the 70s. I do too. I'm almost 70. I I only shoot in the 70s on the front nine. So, no, I'm never playing golf with you. Uh, Well, in full disclosure, my my first marriage, which was not my favorite marriage, happened. uh, A uh, mulligan. (laughs) mulligan. In golf terms. It it happened at Indian Canyons. Uh, So, it was uh, was on that golf course. But uh, uh, regardless of that, uh, I still have fond feelings for the golf course, not the ex wife. That's a. (laughs) Read. Family and friends have just got to be unbelievably proud of where you are right now with the legacy. Um, are you are you where you thought you would be? That's really hard to say. That's really hard to say. I am fortunate to have a very supportive 
fiance, a great mom, a great sister, great siblings, great cousins, aunts, uncles. They're always here for me. Um, to to say that I I knew ten years ago I'd be where I'm at today, no, no. But it's I'm I'm at where I'm supposed to be at right now. Seems like it. Yes. Well, you're well, doing an amazing job. I appreciate it. Thank you. It, it, it really is an honor. And again, some days can be very challenging. It's, um, the work is, is very meaningful. Right? How many jobs can you say it's truly an honor to do this job? And, and the one you're holding is. Not many. Yeah. Not many. It's, I, I think that the, the, the scope of the work and the benefits and the the results i mean it's, it's so impactful and it's not just to myself but to the tribe as a whole you know i, I take great pride in and putting in a lot of efforts a lot of thought into making the decisions i make just because it does affect every single member and i want to make the right decision and some days that can be tough i, I wrestle almost nightly trying to figure out what am i going to do with this what am i going to do with this and Oftentimes, you know, I can sort that out either through a, a walk or a run. That's actually where I do most of my decision making, either walking through the canyons or I, I, I love to run. I have a love-hate relationship with running. <laughs> but that gives me the ability to really process a lot of things. And on those runs is when I'm thinking, okay, maybe it should be like this. Maybe it should be like, like that. Do you feel like there's others talking to you when you're on that run? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So Dan has a, a bridge, a, a bridge that was named after Dad. That's on, on Bellardo, right near Talkwitz Canyon. And that's on one of my, I like to run by there. And I run over that bridge. And every time, you know, I, hey, Dad, how you doing? Oh. But just, and I can feel it. And I think about him every time I, I run over that bridge. And I can hear him talking to me. And depending on where I'm at, I, I hear Grandma Laverne talking to me. I hear Aunt Virginia talking to me. I hear uh, Ray Potencio talking to me. There's and, and just walking through the canyons, it's the same thing. It's, it's a very spiritually powerful place and a, a place for me to really get, get lost in my thoughts and really kind of sort everything out and hopefully come to the best decision that, that, that I can do. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, we really appreciate your time. It's an honor to have you. Uh, I think the tribe is very lucky to have you in your leadership role. I appreciate that. And uh, you're a legend out here. So when you, you reached out and asked to be on this podcast, that was a no-brainer. That was a no-brainer. So <laughs> I've I, known you, honestly, I mean, since you were a very young man. Uh, and I was thrilled when you were elected to council and, and even more thrilled when you were elected to tribal chairman because uh, I just thought you're, I thought so much of your dad. And I think you are cut out of the same cloth. And it's it's great, not just for the Alicante, but for all of the Coachella Valley. I, I appreciate that. I, I put a lot of hard work and time and effort into what I do. And so it's, it really is a pleasure and honor to, to, to do what, what I am doing and to be here sitting with you fine gentlemen. I mean, would I have pictured this a couple years ago? Absolutely not, but here Well, I hopefully am. it gets better from here on out. <laughs> I appreciate that. You, you'll get better podcasts. You'll get more popular ones uh, as you work with No, thank you so much, Reed. It's, a, it's truly an honor and a pleasure, and you're a delight. Thank you, Patrick. And we uh, good luck. Uh, congratulations on your engagement. Uh, and uh, please give your best, my best to your mom and your sister. Great folks. Absolutely. Thank you. On behalf of Randy Florence. This is, John, this is pretty cool, wasn't it? This is, yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. There. That's Go quite. A, no, every once in a while, you, you you know, you send a text and make a phone call, and someone says yes. I'm like, wow, really? They're going to do it? That's cool. Yeah. This is one of those. Thank you very much for joining us on this edition. I think a very important edition of Big Conversations, Little Bar with Reed Milanovic of the Agua Caliente. And thank you all for listening. Thanks, John, for producing. Thanks, Randy, for being here every week and doing so much great research, which I refuse to do. <laughs> we will see you next time on Big Conversations, Little Bar. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Big Conversations, Little Bar. Recorded on location at Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, California, the center of the Coachella Valley universe. This program is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System. All episodes are available from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or from most major podcast portals, including Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music.